Welcome back to Around the Wheel. I am Brett Tax. Back with me on this podcast is Paul. Paul Solomonson is my other instructor. He and I have been teaching together for years. How do we fuck this? I'm going to start over because I don't like any of that. That was babbly. Here goes. Ready? I, it just, as I'm sitting here listening, it sounded like you just totally quit on me. You were like, I've been teaching with Paul for years and fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, shit, I think I just got fired. <laughs> Welcome back to Around the Wheel. I'm Brett Tax. And with me on this podcast is Paul Solomonson. Paul Solomonson is the other instructor that teaches with me around the country and soon to be overseas as well. He's coming down to South Africa and will be teaching a class down there while we're doing our tours in May and June of uh, 2022 this year. Paul, we just got back from Nepal and that was your first trip overseas as a as a rider uh, for vacationing. At my and... first time overseas, not in the army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how how did that affect you as as a rider? How how do you see riding differently now that you've had a chance to do that? Well, to start with, it was it was an amazing experience. I mean, just to to be able to to go into a country and see the country and not have to worry about all the other stuff that the military involves. Um, but just just being there and being able to relax and take in the culture and, and learn about the history and, and that sort of stuff was absolutely incredible. Uh, as far as the riding goes, it was kind of an eye opener for me. I mean, I rode in Germany when I, when I was stationed over there a little bit, but it was, you know, that was all in the city and, and being in Nepal was very different. One, we were on the other side of the road. So that took a minute to get used to, but just the, figuring out the flow and, and how everybody else moved there and just trying to be part of that. And the fact that what we look at as off-road when we go searching for places to go adventure riding is where these folks are every day. And that's just road to them. There is no on-road, off-road. It's all, as they say over there, Nepal easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they have a whole different idea of what easy is. Their easy is what we would consider major, significant, challenged, or closed roads. Yeah, a lot of the space, a lot of the, the the on our BDRs, our backcountry discovery routes that they list as intermediate or expert sections for them is you know, the highway, that's the, that's a numbered road. And that's the only way to get from point A to point B. I've had one of the, for those of you listening, I've had the the pleasure of, of watching Paul all the way through his evolution as an adventure rider. He's very typical of many of you that are listening that he rode for many, many years on the road and sort of almost accidentally fell into off-road riding and a adventure lot. riding. So yeah, you know, yeah the, lear- the learning process did involve a lot of downtime <laughs> per se. Yeah, I, I literally <laughs> fell into it <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah. And, you know, and we, you know, it started so like so many, it, you know, it was the, you know, let's take a class, let's learn some skills and let's go up in the mountains and ride some local roads. And then let's do the BDRs and, 
And then, of course, international is sort of a, a big dream for many adventure riders. I watched those epiphanies. You know, when we do the BDRs, and I, I watched how you you grew as a rider there. And then we did Lockhart Basin here last year, which was absolutely hilarious to watch. And and that was certainly a, a grand moment to me. It's still one of my my all time favorite rides because it's absolutely ludicrous and stupid to go there. And and now I get to watch you going international. How does the how did Nepal compare to those other experiences with the BDR and and riding the local uh, Cascade Range and and things like that? Well, I mean Lockhart Basin was was an exception. That is a very technical, very difficult section as far as any of the BDRs that I've been on. You know, that was that was a pinnacle for me. That's by far the most challenging. Well, the fact that we started in the evening and after we had ridden eight hours through a windy thunderstorm to get there and then went and did it was not the most intelligent thing I've ever done in my life. Um, with as far as the rest of the BDRs, you know, Washington in particular, I'm, I'm most familiar with this where I've spent most time because it's here. But like, you know, most of those legs we're looking at, for the most part, pretty well groomed and maintained forest service roads and and even some of the secondary forest roads, which are still maintained and the logging roads, which may get some traffic on them, but are still pretty well maintained. And then you get over there and the road changes every day. There was one time we took off from camp and we thought, oh, there might be some construction on this road because there was a, a landslide a couple days before. And so we went around another way and, you know, it, would, it turns out there was a landslide on that road too. And they had a heavy equipment out there cleaning it up. They don't block off the road to fix it. You have to work around all that equipment as they're fixing the road. So if you would imagine in the States, if they took out a section of road to replace it or, or took a, a bridge out through a little through a, a, a little ravine or a creek bed or something like that, they didn't stop traffic and reroute you. You just rode through it and the equipment would pause and let you through and then they'd resume digging. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're dealing with this with buses and trucks and other cars and tra- it's not like, you know, because many of the places we went in Nepal kind of reminded me of some of the passes you and I rode up in Colorado you know, the way the rock is laid out and and everything else. But to me, I think the big difference between riding through Nepal or doing like the upcoming Africa trip, which you know reminds me a lot of the California BDR that we did as far as riding goes, but the fact that there aren't alternatives. You know, one of the things I found kind of disappointing in California as we're doing the BDR is we're running parallel to the highway. And, and you're riding along the BDR and you can look down into the valley and you could see the highway. You knew you were never far, far away. And if you just got bored with it, you would just drop down and take the pavement for a while. And that's not in Nepal. There's just no other option. Yeah. If you saw another road that close, there was a thousand foot drop and a thousand foot climb and a river valley below you to get to it. That's <laughs> where that video with the suspension bridges came in. That's how you got from one road to the other. <laughs> Yeah. You know, the other thing I I observed is certainly I'm always in instructor mode. I'm always looking at how do I, how do I develop teaching lessons or videos or, or, or podcasts that will help riders improve their skill sets. And what I really found interesting is when I take riders over overseas to, to Nepal or to Africa is how quickly they advance in their skill sets 
how confident they become as riders in a form even more rapid than you know the training tours that you and I do here in the states or even the adventure camps where we can really dissect things and focus on these these very specific skill sets but yet here we were in in Nepal and no training involved there i mean africa at least in africa we do training before we go out but in nepal it's just get on the bike let's go and people didn't have the problems that I was kind of expecting to have. And, and, you know, when they're coming from Germany and Scotland and many of these countries where there's just no public off-road riding opportunities, or, or better yet, there's very few unpaved roads that they get to ride to gain experience. It was incredible. Yeah. I kind of fell back into instructor mode and went, well, I'm going to be picking up bikes all day because this is what I do. And we got out there and everybody just started riding and it wasn't, I, and I think it's just because you're, you're in it and you're so focused on everything that's going on around you. And it, and it gets, it, it's, it's like when you get tired, you get to that point where you just quit getting nervous and you're just like, well, this is what I'm doing. I got to do it. And you just do it. And a lot of times I think with our training, when they're, when they're going from pavement and they go, okay, I got to get into off-road mindset now. And then I got to get back into on-road mindset. And then I got to get into off-road mindset. And over there it was, this is our road. What am I riding on? Where am I going? And that's all you focused on is, is it avoiding major obstacles? But for the most part, that was your road. And you just dealt with it as it came to you. And you didn't have time to you know, switch back and forth because you didn't have to, because that's what, and that's what you just did all day. And every day it was day after day. It's not like the, the backcountry discovery routes where you'll go through an easy section, then a challenge section, and then you'll end up with a little breather on pavement and then back onto something where you can sort of get a reprieve and then focus on what we perceive as a challenge. And there, you know, it was very, uncommon to find that little section of of clean road or smooth smooth road and when i say road of for those of you that are listening we're not necessarily talking about paved road we're just talking about smooth road yeah and uh, wow what a difference to watch those those riders advance and you know certainly you and i always have these discussions going what's the takeaway how do we how do we take from that experience? How do I take from watching these riders develop and the process they went through and help the riders that we're going to be meeting over in Georgia in a few weeks or, you know, over here in, on the West coast this summer, what are we going to do different this year as instructors? How, how do we help them get to that same level? You know, I was having conversations, you know, like I said, some of these guys were former students and having conversations with them around the dinner table the general consensus was the fundamental skills, the basic stuff that we're working on at the camps is exactly what you need. And if you can, if you can hone those skills, that's where the focus has to be. And the, the only thing that I would add to what we're already doing is, is, is like you and I talked about was tire placement that, that in, in that environment, it's, it's a much more critical skill than, then I think we're emphasizing that the energy conservation and the preserving of your equipment and trying to just not beat up the bike and beat up yourself. But the way you do that is by picking the smoothest route through there and you have to be able to put your tires where you want them. There was on our way out to the, to the farm campsite that we called it, the, it was a 
just a two lane muddy little trail that kind of went out there and it wound along that hillside. And then there was a spot where you just hung a right and you were following a cliff. The road kind of angled away from the hillside and it was probably a 20 or 30 foot drop. And it was basically a golf cart path around the side of the trail because most people just walked it. And then as you came off of that, it was a single, you know, a single track footpath across the top of that, that little um, dike or whatever. And then, uh, you know, and then we had the, that little bridge that was just a, a log that they cut in half and then propped up with some rocks. And if you hit the center of it, the way it was angled, it would drop you into a rut or possibly even through it if they moved. But so you had to make sure that you were riding across this four to six inch wide, sort of flat kind of angled log that was what, 20, 25, 30 feet long, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And if you weren't accurate where you put your tire and not confident enough to keep your head and eyes forward where they needed to be and, you know, looking down at the ground like we are not supposed to be doing, then things could have went really wrong or festive, as I say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I and I agree with you that that precision tire placement is something that used to be very incorporated. We would have different activities or challenges that would people put people up in the air a little bit because it freaks them out. It didn't really hurt them if they fell off or the bike, but it just, it messed with the mind and allowed them to, to focus on maintaining that control and that tire placement, even under a stressful situation. And I think reincorporating that. Yeah. Yeah. We can practice that on the ground. I mean, you could lay a, lay a two by six or a two by 12 board on the ground and practice riding across it, or even just have a couple of lines painted on the ground or a couple pieces of string. But that perspective changes if you elevate that a foot off the ground. Or even six inches or or eight inches off the ground. Yeah. Because now you're on a balance beam and there's consequences other than just running over a piece of string or riding off the side of an inch and a half thick board. You know, when we're, when we're over there, you can't think about that because that if you'd have come off that log or went through in between those two, that ditch was probably three or four feet deep. My thought is my primary job when I'm doing these international expeditions I take riders on is making sure people get home without injury. I don't care if people fall over. I don't care if we get to the destination that we planned on. I just don't want anybody having a, a major or serious injury. And I'm always watching them to go, what are the highest risk issues that come out of this? And of course, one is people showing up with substandard boots, because that's what I worry about so much was foot injuries, ankle injuries. But that was actually my biggest concern when I was out there was the lack of confidence when we got into technical. I, I did a video on one of the bridges that leads out to the farm and just kind of a technical, you ride across this this short suspension bridge, you turn a hard right and you have to go up to the road. And the number of riders who put their feet down or struggled to get through that. And I'm like, every time you put a foot down, you're running the risk of, of an injury or losing control. And they did it in water crossings. They did it on loose surfaces. They did it on these turns. All these places where the risk was elevated was where they were dropping their feet or putting or losing that confidence. And to me, that's what I want to focus on. That's what I want to change is not just the tire placement, but creating a a training environment, uh, opportunities that 
force them to maintain better balance of the bike, better control of the bike, and better confidence and control when things are scary. So I really want to mess with people's heads. That's what I really want to do this year. I want to create things that aren't necessarily dangerous, but that their brain thinks is dangerous. Well, and that's entertainment for us as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. But but yeah, and you're exactly right, because the bridges themselves... You know, once you got over the fact that you were it's on some of those bridges, a few hundred feet up in the air, but the bridge deck was, they were three feet wide and, you know, we had rails on the side, so it wasn't, and they didn't sway around or anything. So they were a lot more stable than, than they felt like, but you were descending towards the center. So you're on a, on some of them, a pretty steep downhill, and then you had to climb to get back out the other side and the entrance and the exit were the trickiest parts of those bridges because uh, there was, you know, like the one you did the video on, you, you had to come uphill and then immediately make a 90 degree turn between those two big concrete blocks that they were using for anchors onto a, a, a little dirt path, which was a footpath basically. And then you had to continue uphill. And then depending on which direction you were going, you had to climb, there was a, the, the pavement, there was a that little piece of pavement right there, and that was probably a four-inch lip that you had to hop up. That long one we did, it was a straight shot to exit. You know, he had to have decent momentum to climb up, and as soon as you plateaued, you were on about a 10 by 10 concrete platform and then had to make a 90-degree left turn onto a gravel path. And it really does mess with your head, and that's when I'm watching riders going, how do I keep them safe? And I, because I, I'm also thinking about this, for our trip coming up in May to Africa. And if if you're listening, I do have a couple spots that just came open, by the way. But what I'm looking at is we have a a training day built into that particular trip. I have an opportunity to rent a facility to bring the riders there and spend one day just getting to know the riders, letting them get to know the bikes before we head off and, and head up to Botswana. But I'm going, what do I do with that? Yeah, what, what do I do with that time? How do I give them the best chance of success? And what I'm really thinking is, is anything that I can create a false stress that, you know, that would normally cause them to hesitate, to put feet down, to to question the balance, which really takes us back to many things we've been focusing on for years, which is those slow speed precision riding drills, you know, the the U-turns, the the offset weaves, the going up and down hills, going through sand, all these sort of challenges that hone those skills. Even the rolling dismount mount. I mean, the poser skills. I put that video up and got so much criticism for doing something that was just dumb. Why are you doing that? It is one of the best developmental skill sets you can have on a motorcycle. If you haven't watched, guys, if you're listening, if you haven't seen the poser skills video I did on mounting and dismounting the motorcycle, go back and watch it because the balance being off center of the bike and being able to mount and dismount with balance, being able to use the clutch, use the throttle, manipulate that, all of those controls into a nice smooth coordination is exactly the skill sets that riders struggled with when they were stressed out. And if you've never done that skill set, standing on the side of the bike to start or stop is stressful. And it forces you to recalibrate where your comfort is and what you're doing. And I think those are the skill sets 
that I'm going to plan on focusing on when I do that pre-training during the Africa tour, but also what I want to bring this year and double down on. And I'm not sure what I want to remove from the camp because there's almost only so much time, but I know I definitely want to have more of that development during our, our basic adventure training camps. For sure. And, you know, one of the popular things that, that we get to do that the, the riders seem to have fun with is when we do our little follow the leader. And it, it, it does involve a lot of those poser skills. You know, obviously they're optional. We don't, it's not a hazing thing, but we ride up and, and do bar stops against a tree or down at the, at the ranch, we got the uh, hitching posts and that kind of stuff, but it makes it into a game and it still lets you practice those skills, even though what we're doing doesn't seem practical, you're still honing those skills. And, you know, when you look at, at young animals puppies and kittens and stuff like that, they play fight and do all that. And that playing is the development of the skills they need to survive later on. And if you're anything like me that has the brain of a puppy, you, <laughs> if, if I can make it into a game, then I don't think of it as learning and I don't stress it as much. And, you know, it gives you something fun. And like I said, if you make a game out of it, then if you do fall down, it's not a big deal. You go, oh shit, I missed. (laughs) No big deal. But if you're going, okay, I got to do this. I got to learn how to do this. Then you start. and, And again, it goes back to that mental aspect where you start messing with your own head by playing games and having fun with it. The, the poser skills look fun and it looks like we're showing off, but there are times when those skills are absolutely necessary. Uh, I think back to one of our riders when we were at, at Capitol Forest out here, and it was a, a that uphill with the rocks and stuff. And a lot of the riders were struggling there because they, you know, just having trouble keeping momentum. And, you know, this one particular rider had tried. We got him turned around. He tried again. He turned around, tried again. And he was really tall, had a lifted by a taller bike, had taller suspension, a G- big GSA, if I remember right, correct? Yeah, big GS adventure. Because, I mean, this guy's 6'5". He got stopped on that rocky hill, and he he basically just looked at me and said, listen, I don't want to hold up the whole group, but I am exhausted right now. I just, I can't do this. And if I if I keep trying, I don't know if I'll have enough energy to get back. Will you take my bike up? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And he said, do you want me to help you turn it around? And I said, no, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to try it from here. And I, I, put my foot up on the foot peg and I was standing next to the bike and I started letting the clutch out and I started moving and I got the bike and I'm bouncing across the rocks and I'm still standing on the side of the bike, you know, on the foot peg. And then as I got my momentum and the bike stabilized, I threw my leg over the top and all I heard as I was riding up the hill was Paul, you're an asshole. (laughs) Because he thought that I was showing off and making fun of him as he, you know, when I walked back down the hill, and I heard the other instructor that was with us telling him, look, that's, he wasn't trying to, trying to make you feel bad. That was the only way he could get on the bike. And at that point it was true. Had I tried to mount the motorcycle and straddle it the way we normally would, when we take off, I can't touch the ground on that bike. And I wouldn't have been able to get going from that point. That's the only option I had. And had I not played around with that skill at other times, when it looks like I'm showing off, I wouldn't have had that, that ability to do that. That's something I think a lot of riders struggle with is you know, tall riders don't don't get it. 
they're like, well, because they, they can stretch over the bike, they can touch on both sides and they get lazy. They don't build up that secondary skill because they don't need it most of the time where a rider who's shorter or somebody with a really tall bike, they're more likely to develop that skill set. But also you see the same thing for, for other skill sets. You know, I, I don't need to stand. So they don't practice. They don't get to the point where it's there when they need it. You know, if somebody rides at higher speeds all the time, they don't focus on the slow speed stuff. People don't want to do obstacles because I don't ride over obstacles until you have to, because it's a, a rock or a route or something on the, the road or the trail. I think that's one of the things I'd like to encourage those of you that are listening. If you're taking notes, trying to go, what is there to take away from this conversation, from this particular podcast? And that's probably the one thing I'm going to say you should take away is make sure you practice the things that are uncomfortable to you. Practice the skill sets that you don't necessarily think you need, because when you need them, that's not the time to figure it out. And and that's the same thing like these international trips. I don't take people to Africa. I don't go to Nepal with Paul or take Paul to, to Africa with me to help guide these rides so that we can have people go there and challenge their riding skills. It's the wrong place and time to do that. That's what the adventure training camp is about. That's what the training tour is about. You going out and riding the BDR or hooking up with a bunch of buddies and riding trails on your 1200 GSA, which we know is the wrong motorcycle to do that on, but that's not the point. That's no business being out there. Exactly. But that's not the point. The point is, how do you develop the skill sets when you need them, you're not learning them if they're just already there. You're not going to say, I think I can do this. When you're in Africa and you're looking at this dried up riverbed in sand, that's not the time to go, ooh, man, I hate sand. You better knock it out and, and become comfortable with that before you get to that environment. Now, luckily going with a group or going with, with you or I, if you're joining Paul and I, you can get to that point and go, I, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable. I, I I'm just too tired or my skill sets aren't there. And we'll take it across for you. We'll do the same thing during a camper tour. But the goal is let's develop those skill sets here at home. Let's do them on the weekend where we have medical care nearby, (laughs) where we got buddies to help us out, where I can just bail out and go, I'm done and hit pavement and go home instead of being stuck where there is no pavement option. In a foreign country where, yeah, you've got to get back home. Again, it's those fundamental things and practicing here is is where you need to practice. And if all of a sudden you're thinking, I've got sand mastered, go find some deeper sand. And you got to keep challenging yourself because then, we, you know, we talked about Lockhart Basin. That is the hardest section of off-road that I have, that I've done. Being able to get through there on my 1200 in the dark, exhausted, hungry, tired. Now that I know that I can do that, everything else seems a little bit easier because I've, I've pushed beyond my comfort level. If you go, well, I'll just avoid the mud. Well, you may not have a choice. So if mud is your thing, practice more mud. And when you get mud mastered, then find some crappier mud and go do it some more, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and the same thing with sand. If you, if you're afraid to fail, you'll never succeed. And so you've got to push yourself to that point you know, obviously I don't want anybody going out and hurting themselves, but you've got to find out where your limits are to know what you actually are capable of doing. If you only get to a certain point 
and decide you want to go to Africa or Nepal or even, you know, a lot of people like to do the South America thing. There's spots down there where you're going to need to know more than what you will find on most of our BDRs. There's sections of them that are that are exceptions. But what you got to keep in mind, everyone in Washington talks about Kleeman Mountain or, or Babyhead Hill, as it's called. It's a, it's one of the most challenging sections that people seem to struggle with. Kleeman Mountain, that whole section is all of about, you know, maybe two miles from where it's really easy through the hard part to the easy again. In Nepal, we did that for 40 miles. That's just the road you're on. That's not the challenge section. That's just the highway. You got to get good and get comfortable on it because you don't know how long you're going to be there. The other thing to, to keep in mind here is our equipment. I know we're kind of running out of time here and, and you're getting ready to close us up, but- There's always time to talk about those bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about those, those bikes because I think a lot of people feel, well, if I just had a better bike, if I just had better tires, if I, if I aired down or aired up or had shorter grips, then it would be much easier. That was the other thing about Nepal that really jumped out was the bikes we were riding. Or when we go to Africa, we'll have more modern bikes, but we'll still have XT660s or Tenere 700s. But those those bikes in Nepal were... Uh, a Royal Enfield Himalaya. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, on, on worn out, old, worn, seven-year-old tires that are basically street tires with no suspension and 24 horsepower yep. when they were new at sea level, which was not where we were. Overweight, and, underpowered, undersprung on old tires with zero technology and shittiest bike I've ever ridden. And I can't wait to own one. That because well, and what what I learned over there because everybody we were all on the same bike and so all different skill levels we were all on the same bike we were all riding the same places. What I kind of figured out is it's not about the bike; it's about the skills. And you, it, it, it would be nice if you could go to the dealership and say, "Hey, you know, I need a can of sand skills," and then drink that, and then you're good on sand. But it doesn't work that way. And so putting stuff on the bike doesn't substitute for skill. Having the ability to do it on just about any bike is much more important than having the newest doodad or the latest technology, I think, because there's there's just no substitute for it. And that boils down to going, where do you invest your time and your money? And I watched so many people invest tremendous amounts of money into their motorcycles. And it makes sense if you think about the the scenario of, we spend most of our time working. We don't get to ride that much. We come home, we want to ride, but we can't. So we order new stuff and then we put it on the bike and we look forward to those trips. That's where I think people don't realize how much money and how much time I've spent taking classes and going with other, other professionals, taking other courses doing things that that improve my skills, both by travel experience, reading videos. That's where I invest as, as much as possible because to me, the bikes come and go, but the experience and the memories, most of them are still here. The older I get, the more they go too. But for the most yeah. part, for the most part, I, I still feel I have a pretty, if nothing else, I have pictures. I go, that was me. I went there. But I, I just really like to encourage riders or help hopefully to inspire riders to go, now's the time. Don't wait. Every year, we just don't want to do things the way we used to do them as we get older. 
I know we have careers, but as the kids move out and we have more money, we have more time, rather than spending that money on the latest and greatest newest bike with the most expensive tires and the best suspension we can find, that's the time to take the class, to to take a trip, to call up your buddies and plan to do a BDR or plan to take a trip down to Baja or or up to Alaska, wherever your dream is, or come ride with with you and I overseas and, and do something like that. But waiting, it, it just, I hope, I hope that somebody that's listening to this right now goes, all right, I'm in. I'm not going to buy a new exhaust. I'm going to, I'm going to wait for another couple of years to replace my bike. And instead I'm going to plan the adventure of a lifetime and do it. That's what I'm, I'm hoping somebody will get out of this. And the other thing that I found on those, on those Himalayas over there is they don't go very fast. No, they it, do not. Well, and you can't, the roads won't let you, even if the bike could, you yep, can't go that fast. The roads won't let you, the bike won't let you. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to challenge your personal skill set. Do it at home, whether it's in New Zealand, Australia, India, Canada, wherever you are listening to this, do it at home when you have people nearby and and everything else. If you're going to do an international trip, that's the time to just take it in, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the culture, enjoy the new experiences, and don't take risks beyond the risk that we're already taking. I mean, let's face it, we're on motorcycles they are inherently risky. Anybody that talks about motorcycle safety, I would argue the fact that, yeah, we don't really do safety. You'll notice Paul and I don't talk about motorcycle safety. Our goal isn't to make things safer. Our goal is to make things more enjoyable. And if we, in turn, give you skill sets or mindsets that allow you to ride longer because you don't crash or have injury, that's a bonus and a win. But it's the quality of life that we're focused on. Safety is just a byproduct. Agreed. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me and and uh, sharing this discussion with everybody here that's listening. Also, to to remind all of you, if you're new to the show, this is supported 100% through donations through Patreon. Those are the funds that help me host this and to keep this up online so that you can all listen. We don't have any sponsors other than those that support the show. So we get to say what we want, share our real opinions. We don't care who we offend because um, unless it's all the Patreon guys that I chase away, in which case that's okay too, because then I'll just have more spare time to go ride. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, everybody, thanks for listening. Remember, attitude matters. Don't forget to smile when you ride, especially when everything's going wrong.